Today's chat is brought to you by the support of all our Twitch subscribers. Through the patronage you provide the Focus Fire chat team through the Twitch platform, we are able to provide you with the weekly podcast as well as the website and other aspects of Focus Fire chat. If you have any interest in becoming a subscriber of the FFC and gaining access to some exclusive features over in the Discord server, please be sure to visit our Twitch account and click on the subscribe button. If you're an Amazon Prime member, remember that you do have a free subscription to Twitch every month that can be used for this. And for those of you who are already subscribers, thank you again for your generosity. You may have heard the whispers of guardians gathering in the shadows, exploring the mysteries of this world and the worlds which surround us. We are all in search of truth. Sometimes we need to focus that search, focus that fire. And so we come together. Join us. Join the discussion. Welcome to Focused Fire Chat. Welcome back for episode 172 of Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on June 21st over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. As always, want to give a big shout out to our live chat here with us tonight. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Our topic for tonight's episode is going to be a look at hive mythology. But first, let's run through a quick introduction of those on the show for tonight. As always, this is your host, Blue Crew 86 Next up, we have our own master of social media, the one and only Green-Eyed Music Lover. Green, I hope you're doing well. How has the week treated you so far? I'm going to be honest. The week has been a challenging one, but it is Friday night. I have a cup of coffee. Things I aren't exploding. I might have spiked it with something. Things are not exploding. It's going to get better. So we're going to get there. Just hold on. Just hold might on. Be a little Just rough. hold on. It might be a little rough. <laughs> um, and finally, in the hot seat as guest co-host, we have our good friend Jopa Wrights. Jopa, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm having an awesome week, uh, and I'm very happy to be here. Yee. Jopa here has all sorts of different places. I'm going to actually plug you a little bit here at the beginning, and then we'll plug you again here at the end. As far as all the different places people can find you. Shout them out for everybody so they know. Yeah, I'm pretty much found everywhere uh, under Jopa Rights. So that's Twitter, Twitch, uh, YouTube, Instagram, basically anywhere. It's Jopa Rights is my my username. Same thing on uh, my my gaming consoles, all that kind of good stuff. So I, I try to keep it uniform. Luckily, they let us change names and unify everything. So yeah, it's been very, very convenient. Are you primarily on PS4 or? Yeah, that's pretty much all I play on. Nice. Nice. All right, Blue, back to you. Well, no, actually, I was going to hand it right back to you because uh, Ah. for the community question. But before actually, actually, you reminded me before I do that, Jopa, uh, where, uh, how did you get into like the Mm -hmm. lore of Destiny and other games and stuff like that? So I am a day one Destiny player. Oh, so nice, one, nice. one of the things that has really interested me is the the deeper connection. I know the Grimoire cards are something that uh, kind of frustrated some people, but I'm also a big Dragon Age fan. And it was kind of a similar thing only in game where you had a lot of reading, a lot of uh, research to do on, on the history. And once you did that, I feel like it kind of enriched, enriched the... Uh, 
the entire experience for me because uh, knowing the history of the locations, the history of the the creatures and the the races and all that kind of stuff has always been helped me kind of in my mind progress the game to a level beyond what it otherwise could have been. And knowing that there's these rich backstories and these enemies that we're facing are. Uh, have these great histories has just been super fascinating for me because I'm also a long time reader. Uh, I read uh, the Wheel of Time series. Nice. I read all of uh, a lot of uh, fantasy uh, books like such as that. And again, those type of um, uh, rich backstories just always enthralled me. So that's that's kind of how I got into it with Destiny as well. And it was the first shooter that had that for me. Mm-hmm. So it kind of merged uh, a bunch of my passions kind of together, which was awesome. Yeah, that's that that is really and Wheel of Time. I absolutely love that series. Um, mm-hmm. What about so like what what aspect of the lore in Destiny do you usually gravitate towards the most? Like what what is there a particular story or a particular uh, aspect of it? Well, I'm a Titan main, so anything to do with Titans is always. Uh, very interesting to me. Like, I think one of the underrated stories in uh, Curse of Osiris was that of Saint Fourteen, mm-hmm. uh, going and seeing his his shrine. Basically, well, for it was one of the coolest things in that expansion for me. Um, learning about Shax has been, always been awesome. Uh, currently, I think it's got to be the uh, uh, the Shin Malfur story. I think that one is is yeah. the duality of of light and darkness coming together is is also great for me because i love um, a watch game of thrones i like darker edgier tales so mm-hmm. having that i think is is something that i've really enjoyed picking up on and and watching unfold for sure nice nice got a question for you Jopa, and it's kind of something i'm throwing together at you just off the cuff if you had a soundtrack for your titan what song would be like your 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 walk-up song essentially what would be the thing that you'd listen to the most while you're shooting other things or like killing duel and caro so this might sound weird but it's going to be a throwback to a song i liked a lot when i was younger and it's probably going to be uh limp biscuits my way all um, right and the reason for that is i i feel like one as a titan I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to punch everything that I can. Mm-hmm. And uh, two, it's a song that gets me kind of pumped up and, and gets me real fired up. It's in your face, and I like that a lot. So so that would probably be the song I would go to. Nice. I bring this up because uh, I was watching a another podcast recording last night, Just Some Guardians podcast. And there was a story about how... Fudd, I don't know if you know Elmer Fudd or not, uh, but he is also a Titan. Yep. And they were working, him and a buddy were doing a two-man of Shattered Throne. And apparently the song that got them to the point where they could kill Karu and finish Shattered Throne was I Feel Pretty from West Side Story. <laughs> and I'm sitting here like, that is perfect for certain <laughs> Titans that I know. So I just kind of want to know, like, what I really want to know what everybody's like theme song now in their head is yeah. like what actually gets you going. Apparently Elmer Fudd loves I feel pretty. I, I, I've known great. Fudd for quite some time. He is a uh, different kind of Titan. He is and awesome. So uh, I fully, I'm not shocked by that answer from him at all. And mm-hmm. uh, he's a, he's a good friend of mine. So 
Um, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not surprised, but also, uh, I guess every Titan's a little unique. Oh yeah, I mean every everybody's a little unique. It's just funny to see what everybody's theme song would be. But yeah. Ah, question of the week though. Going back into the normal show type stuff, and by the way, thank you for coming on, Jopa. It is thank you for having me. Nice to have a Titan on here. We've had warlocks and hunters, and there haven't been very many Titans that have come on here. And wait, two weeks in a row, Dwyer's a Titan too. What are we doing, Blue? Well, apparently, never mind. I was going to say something that there was discovered about Dwyer this past week on Twitter. But what about Dwyer? I guess what? it's not really safe for the podcast. Ah, uh, gotcha. Anyway, oh that <laughs> the cheese Titan thing. The cheese Titan thing. Let's just say Dwyer apparently Cole. is also an EXO. So that I led blame to, Cole. That led to I some liberties. <laughs> liberties being taken. I just taken. blame Cole. Oh my goodness. Chat. Anyway. No, no, not. The- <laughs> yep. Don't just don't just don't continue with that one. Question of the week. Going back to safe topics. I asked this week of the community, which part of the hive mythology would you like to see in Shadowkeep? So the upcoming, uh, we'll. Expansion, and it's not really a DLC, but upcoming expansion coming this September 17th. There's a lot of lore that's going to likely become relevant again. And so I asked this, the community this because it's going to have a lot of callbacks to what we had before. And some of the answers I got were, I would like to see the remaining worm gods and what they are doing. That's from Cade7 on Twitter. Shay yelled Leviathans. He wants to see the Leviathans as or as the original Leviathan, the one that the siblings ran into back on Fundament. Uh, Doom for Zombies wants to see a resurrection ritual scene to completion. We have a nasty habit as guardians of interrupting those rituals. So he wants to see what happens if we don't stop it. He wants to listen to the full death metal concert. I mean, if you want to go in Tolan's shoes, fine. You go follow in Tolan's footsteps or floaty steps or or light steps, whatever he is now. But uh, last one was from Wicked Jester. He said, I would like to see more of the cult-like religious practices of the sword logic implemented and explained. One of my favorite moments from D1 was going onto the Dreadnought and seeing Hive giving worship to Oryx outside of his throne room right before we kick the door in. And... If I remember correctly, that was before we got to, um, what was it? The, the, priest. the priest? The mm-hmm. war priest. That's what it was. If we're in the actual raid. I can't remember if there was worshippers can... outside of Regicide. Mm-hmm. Was there some? Not. Because you that... had the weird waterfall where that was going backwards. Yeah. there was, Well, there might have been some hive on that, uh, that ledge, but they weren't worshipping in the same way that they were at the, because uh, that was... Um, that was the totem room, right? Wasn't mm-hmm. that the split totems? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying. To, I think that was before the war priest, because you beat you beat it, and that wall came down, and then you went to the war priest. Oh yeah, right. Okay. Oh yeah, that that is mm-hmm. the door to the war priest room. I was just trying to remember if during regicide, if we saw him too, because regicide is the mission you do during the normal campaign before yeah. you do the raid. Also, yes, I will do that, but. That is pretty much the main questions for this week from the community or the main answers. I wanted to throw it out to you two, though, Blue and Jopa. Is there something from lore that you want to see them or the hive mythology in particular? 
that you want to see them bring back for Shadow Keep. Jopa, do you want to go first? Um, let's see. I, I was thinking a, a little bit about, this, and I think the places I've really been interested in is the the relationship between the hive gods, uh, the various hive gods, as far mm-hmm. as the crossover. And right. um, I think they, could, especially with uh, with now Savathun and everyone going forward, I would love to see a little bit more uh, push and pull between them instead of just us taking on a, an individual uh, hive champion, worm god, whatever it may be, just have right. that interaction so we see... Uh, a little strife between the between the hive itself instead of uh, just having a single focus of a of an enemy. See them kind of that infighting type thing going on, or <laughs> yeah, just see the just so we can. I, I would love to see the hierarchy and like the power struggle a little bit closer uh, to the guardians instead of just what we've heard about in the lore. You know? Yeah, I get you. Blue, is there something that you'd like to see? Yes. Uh, I don't think it's more, well, it would, I guess it would be kind of a return. I'm, I'm really curious about the kind of similar, similar to Jopa is like the, the hierarchy, but I'm more concerned, I'm not concerned, but I would be more interested in seeing, excuse me, I'd be more interested in seeing a development on Zivu because we've had a fair amount of, we've had a significant development on Oryx and we've had a fair amount on Sabathun. Uh, and with Sabathun's introduction, we had a alternate take on how to feed the worm, right? The the nature of uh, Imbaru mm-hmm. as opposed to the nature of the sword logic, which we're, we're going to get into that a little bit, obvious here later. But I'm curious. I would be very. I'm very curious about. So we now have these alternate paths that are taken <clears throat> by the ascendant or the hive siblings which kind of lays the path or lays the groundwork for zivu to also have her own version of it um right and we know zivu is much more focused on the strength and the the war is that's kind of her spheres of influence if you will but then on top of that we have a fourth uh imagining of the power with Nocris and Zol, uh, which again, we'll, we'll get into, cause I know Chad actually talked about this a little bit as well, because the, there's a very interesting dichotomy going on with the hive in their view of, uh, I guess the the simplest term would be the afterlife, mm-hmm. uh, because Nocris and Zol are into a form of it that we also saw in forsaken that would be more aligned with the necromancy piece. Whereas right. the ascendant hive, in pra- in 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 effect, are achieving the same event, but the cause of that effect is often very different. Uh, so there's 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 that um, doom. Actually, just brought up another one. We've never we haven't heard anything about Tau uh, ever since the very or beginning. Chaos, if you're Teox. reading it, yeah, right, whatever. It's, I think Tau is probably the more proper way of saying it, but it's T A O X. Depending depending on how much attention I'm paying, I might say it, but I probably would say it both ways. So you know whatever. Right. But yeah, Taox, Tau, whoever, whatever. The the basically the the foster mother who betrayed the siblings, who who ultimately set into motion this whole this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the last we heard, she was in a cryopod. And so technically that is a loose thread that could be plucked as well. Um, I mean, you know, Harris unleashed something. Right. And we now, in the Vidoc. right. And the, the challenge there would be, is that 
similar to Nocris, you know, what side does Teox or Tau take? You know, we know that she is opposed to the siblings. So is it an mm-hmm. enemy of my enemy becomes my friend? You know, there, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of paths that a can go down that situation. way. Situation, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, and I mean, right? I mean, and with Mithrax and Varix being in the game now and being much becoming much more um, integral to the story, you know, especially with the whole truth uh, entries and stuff like that, the truth quest. Um, you know, the idea of finding allies in these NPC races is something that has, you know, it's a bridge that has been has been brought up. So right. it would make sense, you know, the Fallen, we have an ally. The Vex and the Hive, I mean, and the Cabal. Cabal, technically, I mean, yeah, if you do. really... We kind of want, I mean, yeah, I was going to say we kind of have a, I mean, I would, I hesitate to call Kalos an ally, but we have a neutral party. An easy alliance. Right. We have a, a, yeah, an alliance of sorts. So the only two right now out there are the Vex and the Hive. Now the Vex, you know, we, we know that Shadowkeep is going to focus on the Hive. Uh, So I've kind of turned the part, the turn my part of Vex mentality off on that front, but... It is to an extent, but we also see um, Skolas like re brought back in the trailer and everything like that. So there's going to be a return to so many old stories and old enemies that we thought we killed, essentially, that have been brought back. My big thing that I want to learn more about, I want to see if they're going to dive more into the Mare Contignium story. That whole mm-hmm. giant well, war that happened on the because there's a lot of dead guardians up there. There's there's that one. There's what I call the alien birthing chamber that we're apparently going to be seeing more of. Um, mm-hmm. Which, if for those of you who don't understand that inside joke, that's uh, oceans ghost fragment oceans two. I believe is the one. It's from r- arguably during the golden age or following the cl- or in the collapse where one of the scientists stumbles upon the chamber of bones basically and uh it's basically described as infant worms uh which i take as face huggers but anyways um (laughs) i mean i i read that card and all i can see is the birthing chambers from aliens like i i'm dead serious like all i see is the little eggs with a little and it's like nope nope get out get out get out you're in a bad place um but so you have that one you have the whole i mean luna's howl you still have that kind of floating around. You have mm-hmm. uh, Finchurch and the 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 thrall with the um, the uh, the onyx thing mm-hmm. that we that we still don't. I mean, there's there's a lot of loose threads around them. To be fair, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, not mentioning the see. fact that is the moon native. You know, that, moon is that haunted. Well, because oh, no. because the hive are known for war moons. So the question then also becomes, is the moon even, you know, there, there is a very slim chance that they might go that path too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of loose threads that I know. And I know mm-hmm. that we have been given hints that there are some tiebacks to the Shadows of Yore. So that was something that, I mean, the Rezal Azir story with the shadows, everything starting on the moon and whatnot, that would be mm-hmm. interesting. I, I I will say that the episode with John where we were talking about in game 
he made a couple comments that I really encourage people to go listen to. Um, I think I think Shadowkeep's story is going to be very very significant in in development gonna... of the the dichotomy of the dark and the light. Mm-hmm. It's going to be dark. There's it's a psychological thriller, is what they're talking about. But that brings us to one last announcement before we go into Lost Lore. Uh, Blue has been updating the Focus Fire Chat store, and one of the designs that is in there, I know I've seen some of you guys kind of show it off on Twitter and whatnot, is the 2019 Focus Fire Chat Guardian Con shirt. And it is the shirt that has Blue, myself, and Beard's likeness on it, our Guardian's likeness with Focus Fire Chat on the front. It is a very simple, straightforward kind of shirt. Uh, if you guys want to go check it out, there also are some updates on other shirts that are in the store, and that is as Teespring is where we at. Yep, it's all linked. It's all linked to uh, the LoreNetwork.com, and also we have I have I have finally managed to activate the extension on Twitch. So if you guys ever join us for a live stream on either one of the episodes or the Let's Chat, it is there is an extension in there. I believe the extension will stay live even if we're offline on Twitch. So if you want, you can get if there. If not, you can. You can see it in the little um, descriptions below Correct. on our channel. Right? Yeah, as I well. think that's I think that's the the part that will stay up. Um, and then also we do have a couple commands in Discord as well. So I mean, it, it's we can get we can get you the links pretty quickly. The other thing is, is I'm getting some suggestions, and I I am watching chat. I'm getting suggestions for other shirt ideas, and I will keep an eye on those and start designing those out. Or if there's anybody in our audience listener audience who has a burning desire for content creation and would like to design them yeah we definitely will be open yeah. to it. i can i'll chat i'll chat with you i'll chat with people if they want to create shirts and i mean i'm more than open to we'll figure out what we can do because i mean yeah. i'm not i'm not going to take it from you I'll, I'll definitely work with people if they want to get some kickback from that that's more than i'm more than Ooh, happy to shirt um, we also do have stickers now. Uh, so that's that's another thing that we added on there. Uh, Teespring just started doing that. I'm trying to figure out how to get pins because everyone knows how much I love pins. Um, not pins, the moderator. I like him too, but the actual like uh, push pins. Yeah. So yeah, it's it. I, I if you haven't visited the Teespring store, there's on there. Yeah, stuff like pay and confirmed or pay and denied. Yes, and get in on the debate. Make pins, which make team pins are you on? happy. Mm. Make Green upset. Anyway, we should jump into Lost Lore and get into the main part of the episode. But yeah, okay, so, I mean, like Green said, we're gonna, obviously we're going to run through some standard intro notes real quick, and then we'll get right into the Lost Lore. In our last episode of Focus Fire Chat, we discussed the invitations of the Nine. If you enjoy the show, please be sure to rate and, if you can, leave us a written review on iTunes or comment on the episodes on Podbean or whichever podcasting app you use to enjoy podcasts. Reviews are extremely helpful as they not only let us know what we can do better, but help continue to expand the FFC family, which allows more and more perspectives to be heard. To those of you who have already taken the time to leave us a review, thank you. As many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a gathering place where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within game lore, with a special focus on the Destiny universe. This chat begins every Tuesday morning and runs until the following Tuesday, with topics decided by the group via a poll that begins every Friday and ends on the Tuesday morning of the new chat. 
Every Friday, at around 10 p.m. Central, we get together to stream a high-level summary of the previous week's chat for those who are unable to participate. If you're a fan of lore in all its various forms, be sure to also check out thelorenetwork.com, where you can find a wide variety of some amazing content that covers a number of different titles and mediums. This is also the new home for the Focus Fire Chat episode note archives and articles. Our next chat is going to be a discussion on Callus, Emperor of the Cabal. However, as always, please be sure to weigh in on the poll this weekend to let us know which topic you want to discuss after that. Links to that poll can be found on either Twitter, at FocusFireChat, or within our Discord server. Before we jump into the information and thoughts that the community had about Hive mythology, however, let's have a quick chat about this week's Lost Lore. This week for the Lost Lore, actually, I'm going to largely defer to one of the amazing articles over on uh, Ishtar Collective. Uh, And this is a discussion on the Hive language, uh, which is actually really, really closely aligned with what we're going to be talking about tonight with the, the whole mythology. Because mythology is largely, you know, obviously concerned with the traditions and the uh, practices of different theologies and stuff like that. Um, so, and obviously a lot of that is going to be around keeping of the records. So <clears throat> we have a ghost scan and this is a ghost scan that is mentioned in the article as well from the festering halls on Titan. And it's our, it's our ghost. And they say hive runes draw their power from a different dimension where there's no difference between a word and its meaning. When the hive erode the barrier between our dimension and theirs, the rune for death brings literal death um and so basically and i believe this was i want to say I, i'm going to probably mispronounce it but i believe it's cocobel is that correct is that the correct pronunciation for her username? that's what it looks like to me cocobia cocobel uh did an amazing job in breaking down basically everything that we kind of can find on uh the language or the mm-hmm. written language. And the important thing here about hive runes, and I, I would emphasize that they are runes, they are not necessarily letters. They're they're really they're and she kind of makes the point the the closest that we could get to them is Egyptian hieroglyphs. Um it's a it's a communicate or a, a recording device or court recording pattern that is referred to as logographic. Uh and logographics are Basically, they don't stand for letters. They stand for ideas or uh, thoughts. And so when you look at Hive runes, that's something that's really important to remember is that you're not going to read it like the the Elixni language. You know, the Elixni written language that we have is kind of more more similar to our own. It's it's kind of more phonetical. Uh, the Hive language, as far as the written communication, is much more uh I, I, it's much more image centered. It's, it's very, very emotive. Uh, it depends a lot on the actual context of the whole tablet or the whole scene that is being portrayed to you. So it's very similar to the, the writings on cave walls, you know, and all that. And again, that's called logographics. Uh, and Coco Bell does an amazing job on this errata, um, 
article, which I, I, yeah, Green just linked it in chat. I will have this linked in our show notes as well because I cannot do justice in, you know, five, ten minutes on the the detail that she breaks down, literally breaks down everything that we kind of have to date on this. And this goes back as far as the Temple of Crota in D1. Uh, and she does an amazing job with the screenshots uh, and kind of showing within the screenshots and of these sigils what each one makes. And we do know a couple of them. And so she uses that knowledge to then build on that and kind of explain, you know, where where all this stuff kind of goes. Um, so I really encourage I really encourage people to give that a, at least a glance through because it'll give you an idea a little bit of of the kind of the. Not necessarily the history, but the kind of the mindset that the hive kind of operate in. They're not they're not going to have the the granularity that we are used to in a written language. They're going to be much more arcane it's, almost in that archaic in that. In some respects. Like a good example is partway down the article, she talks about how the idea for a door slash treasure slash tra- chamber the base image is the same, but for different, var- there's different variants on the image mm-hmm. that signify different aspects, which is really interesting when you break it down because it's it's more like, in my mind, it reminds me of the the I'm trying to think is it Greek for the word love? You have the um, the familiar love, the brotherly love, and stuff like that. It's three different yeah. words that all technically uh, are the word love, but yeah, there's just, variants. Just blank. Uh, I can't remember them either off the top of my head, but the variants that you see in the hive language. Oh, agape, philia, and eros. Yes. And I think Thank stor- you. storge, stor- storge, I don't want to... Yeah, that one's the less known one, mm-hmm. but those first three are very common. There's actually, I think there's actually seven, if I'm... But yeah, yeah. Uh, agape, philia, and eros are the very common three. Mm-hmm. It it is interesting to see how it is modified in various ways on different types of um, items. I it's really fascinating to see that. I'm I'm curious whether or not the artist himself came up with this that designed this because you know Destiny has very high level um, imagery when it comes to the meanings behind their images. So I'm curious whether or not it's an artist design or if it's a lore design that got translated into artistry mm-hmm. like where it's coming from because it is it is really well fleshed out for what they're being used for obviously we do not have a complete alphabet or complete um listing of all the different hive things because we only interact with part of their culture but they also don't write a ton of stuff down either anyway yeah i don't i um i think it would be i think it's the codex I believe is the best term for it mm-hmm. uh, because with hieroglyphics and logo graphics and stuff like that, uh, it's not so much the alphabet again. It's, it's like a, it's basically like a Rosetta stone um, for it because, yeah. because each of these sigils mean, and each of the sigil also, you can have the same sigil in a different context. That means a different thing. So that's where like, I know she uses the um, from D one, the, uh, what were they? The runes for the reciprocal, stolen and antiquated. The combinations mm-hmm. of those runes or those sigils on those runes for the court of Oryx that that was used to summon different hive, different ascendant hive to do combat and to basically worship or or Oryx. 
um, you know, that that's an example that she uses. The context did completely changes how those things operate within there. Um, mm-hmm. So, again, it's it's a really interesting thing. Um, and it kind of I mean, like I said, it ties really, really well into the entire concept of the hive mythology. Um, and I know <clears throat> I actually did manage to get a map together <laughs> with with this one. Um, yes. Mind oh, maps for the wind. Really quick. Yeah, I just saw this in chat. Danting uh, Varu. Uh, he makes a comment about how it's interesting to see how the scorn lay out the elixir symbols like hive runes. Um, and that's kind of, it makes a little bit of sense because you also of the scorn, you have scorn barons such as the Mindbender, who was very closely a follower of the concept of the hive and the ascendant realms and stuff like that. Um, you also have a few others that kind of deal with similar concepts that you see in both those those races um so the similarity i find might might be more intentional than accidental i think is my my personal opinion on that that front um but yeah so going back we we actually have over gosh man over the over the years uh we have talked about the concept of the mythology of the hive and you know it's kind of a, a testament to the evolution of the story as well, because I think the first time we really mentioned it was all the way back in episode five in one of our mm-hmm. first first conversations of the Books of Sorrow. And so that was episodes five, six and seven where the Books of Sorrow our first our first dive into those. Um, you know, we have a number of different conversations about Crota and, you know, Crota's fire team, the raid. Uh, and then we kind of got into King's Fall. <clears throat> because that was a huge uh, expose, I guess. Yeah, uh-huh. expose uh-huh. of the the mythology piece. Because the whole King's Fall, the whole the whole of the King's Fall raid was based around the logic of the mythology. Uh, it was based around the sword logic and how that operates within the realm of the Dreadnought, and how Guardians took that mythology and used it to defeat Oryx. Um, you know, and then, you know, later on, we actually had an episode specifically about sword logic. And then we went into the books of sorrow again with the hive siblings. We did, we've done a couple episodes on the worm gods just simply because they keep getting more and more information, you know, brought forth about them, especially with war mind, uh, mm-hmm. and with Zol. And that kind of, that's kind of a, a really long list of episodes in which we kind of piece together different various aspects of it. Um, but green, if I, if I were to say, do you know a quick way to summarize mythology for the hive? What would you say would be the best way to kind of simplify it down to very, very oversimplify it? Very oversimplified mythology of the hive. Um, a Faustian deal was met between the worm gods and three siblings. The, those three siblings became a lot of what rule over the hive, the different heads of their, you can call them households, Oryx, Zivu, well, Zivu Arath, and Zavathun. From there, we have different um, descendants and hands and charges underneath them that work 
to further their masters or further the head of the households. I'm very much so getting a Game of Thrones talk in my head at the moment. Um, very much so through the development and furthering the the head's causes, whether it's mm-hmm. getting more um, light fed through them through Dulancaru or doing it the way that Oryx did with um, trying to take out guardians and whatnot and ending up taking out half of well, the majority of the Awoken fleet. Uh, we haven't seen Zivu Arath so much yet, which obviously we're kind of hoping for a little bit with Shadowkeep, but the Faustian deal that it's ongoing in multiple ways and it's ever developing. That is the easiest, easiest, most basic way I could say that there are a lot of connections of a traditional family tree type thing, but there's also you've got these quote unquote gods over the top of them. Yeah. And I like, I like actually what you said about the, the siblings being kind of the houses, um, mm-hmm. because an easy way to kind of look at like the hierarchy, I guess, if you want to call it of the hive pantheon, uh, at the very, very top, you have, you know, the deep or the, the darkness, basically, uh, Arguably, this is where we have a we have a mention of the formless one. Uh, we don't really have a strong connection, but it kind of seems implied that that's the darkness. Um, mm-hmm. Then, then below that, we have really the worm gods. The worm gods are of the, in them themselves, kind of. Uh, they're not necessarily in the sense of a traditional pantheon gods, but they would be like the deep would be kind of more. The if we're going to kind of go with a Roman esque type concept, the deep is going to be the the hierarchy of like Jupiter or Zeus. Uh, below them are the other lesser gods. They're still gods in the sense of this this pantheon. Um, but then below them are the siblings. And I like what I was going to go with is I like how you said houses because really honestly the siblings are very akin to the Roman concept of a house god. Um, they are still gods in the light of the the average hive but they are below in the hierarchy of the worm gods and then below them you kind of have what we would refer to as like the major ascendant hive uh these are going to be kind of the the demi gods you know the 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 heracles and the achilles of the 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 hive world and then you have regular ascendants and these these ascendants are going to be kind of the vassals of the major ascendants so they 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 in the pecking order they defer to those uh major ascendants would be like the spawn of oryx which would be crota nacris uh iranak and irahalak those are going to be major ascendants whereas with your regular ascendants you're going to have like thalnak who is one of the you know fanatics the fanatic of crota that we see in the court of oryx uh the swarm princes, which we saw back in D one, those are going to be the regular ascendants. Um, and then below that, you're going to have kind of just what's referred to usually as the broods. Uh, and the broods are really kind of just exactly that. They're just spawn, general spawn, general foot soldiers of the army of the hive. Um, the thing to remember too, is that like the hive is very focused on the, the concept of this war between the deep and the sky. Um, they are on a, a holy crusade, even within the books of sorrow, it is described as a crusade against anyone who would, who would refuse to bend a knee to the sword logic. Um, and that's, that's been that way since the very beginning when the hive siblings made the bargain with Yule and with the other worm gods. 
Now, the other thing to keep in mind is that the Swarm Princes introduced the idea that it's not just Yule's worms that are, or it's not just Yule's spawn that is being replicated, I guess, into the hive. All of the worm gods, save Akka, really, have a Swarm Prince dedicated to them, uh, which kind of gives us the idea that they're going to be, there are, there are broods or spawn of all worm gods. Uh, and that's the other thing with the hive, right? Part of this part of this mythology is dealing with the actual literal infestation of their personhood by a worm. Every single hive has a worm within them, and every single hive is basically from from inception dedicated to feeding that worm. Um, Should we talk about the start of that inception with the story from books of sorrow yeah i mean i think that's i think that's an important thing um and that kind of goes into that faustian bargain that you know you you were talking about do you want to do you want to i actually i was going to have jopa do it do you want to talk about the the inception of the very first infestation essentially um i i can take off part of it i don't know as well as you guys do um Kind of that origin, I just I know the a little bit more the generalities. Of, um, sure. The idea that that the uh, the hive were reaching for more in essence, and then when they were offered those the worms, that they mm-hmm. kind of uh, reached for those in a way that that I think brought them more than they bargained for, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, also enriched them in a way, like kind of developed the them as a as an entire species from kind of a base level to this i mean obviously we see with with orcs and those kind of uh leaders that they've they've developed far beyond anything they would have been capable of otherwise oh yeah i think i think that's kind of like you said the fossil bargain of starting off uh, at a very base uh, i don't know how to describe it but kind of general level and evolving with some help right into into much more it's the i'm trying to remember how many years they lived prior at when they were just krill 10 yeah but was it 10 yeah uh we the or, debate still is is that earth years or fundament years but yeah right so there was that very young or small amount of time as far as number goes and then the the mothers, the brood mothers and whatnot would live a little bit longer, but they live much longer. So that's, yeah. Mothers, mothers have the wings and they live much longer um, because that's, yeah, they're, they're the wizard squad. Um, But yeah. But once they took on the, the worm, like you were saying, they extended their life, their life because the, if they were able to feed the worm, the worm were able to grant them, longevity among other things and through that forced evolution they were able to develop these vast empires essentially their own now granted it is not an empire like the cabal where it is subjects it is literally descendants that are fighting for you mm-hmm. it's forced yeah, houses, legato legato and chat is is forced evolution but, uh there's the grouping of all the different worm gods do we don't we don't have it on the map but there's yule the honest worm akka the keeper of secrets ur the keeper of order or ear e-i-r the keeper of order ur you are the ever hunger 
Zol, the will of thousands. So we've, we've quote unquote, met Zol, whether or not we actually met Zol, but we've dealt with Zol. Akka is the dreadnought at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Am I remembering Pretty that much. one correctly? It's not Yule. Uh, yes, Akka was scrimshawed into the dreadnought. So yes, it's not not the other one it's Akka is the one that got kind of he because Akka was the one that Oryx went into the deep and challenged and then which I I love the fact that they describe it as being scrimshawed because again and we kind of mentioned this when we were talking about it originally but the process of scrimshawing is you take a small bone <laughs> so if he scrimshawed Akka into a dreadnought that's the kind of a, a hint of how large Akka actually was yeah. Yeah. So we would have been multitudes times bigger than right. Dole, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, because well, we yeah. Zol. Well, and that's and that's kind of going back into Tolan's quote about, "Oh, you think you killed a worm god? Ha ha ha!" Like, uh, which I love that quote. But um, the other thing is, like, you know, with with uh, this, the concept of scrimshine is, you know, it's again, it's it's taking a it's taking a small bone and carving it, uh, which is exactly what he did. He he carved the dreadnought into it. Here's something I want to know, though. We've seen kind of evolution of Hive and the different broods and the different beings within that, Nogris being a really good example. Mm-hmm. Why not have the Hive worm gods evolve? Why not have them multiply or have the worm gods with power? Yeah. Um, if Zol, if what we fought on Mars was not actually Zol, or maybe it was just a figment, an avatar, like an avatar of Zol, and not actually Zol. I mean, there's different, so, different ways. If yeah, and I think something so, we've always heard, sorry, um, something we've always had in Destiny is that those who prescribe themselves as gods are just as easily defeated as anyone else. They just they may have paracausal powers or may have things, but they're not. The idea of an absolute omniscient god is not present per se Mm -hmm. yeah and i think this ties into this ties into one of the things that i kind of refer to as one of the hypocrisies of the worm gods um you know there's there's this underlying cause of like this this uh, um, abomination that is the hive um you see it uh, i attribute it very similar to the the way that society views like the vampire mythos um, mm-hmm. The hive are very vampiric in in the descriptions and in their presentation. They are very vampiric. They they literally will siphon light out of things, which is very akin to the Eastern uh, definition of a vampire, where it actually they will actually consume spiritual energy, not necessarily blood. Um, and even even actually Western mythos of vampires, the reason they consume blood is because in the Western culture, blood was viewed as the life-giving essence. Uh, it's not so much the blood; it's it's actually the soul of the life. Um, and so when you when you kind of look at it that way, the worms are akin to a very uh, very akin to a Dracula esque presentation uh dracula was an abnormality and i mean carmilla was as well you know carmilla came before dracula in the in the mytholo- mythological hierarchy here but like 
the thing that was so abnormal about vampires was first off, yes, they, they, um, consumed other things. They were, cons- it was, uh, consumption, but also they didn't change. They were, they were stuck as they were, um, okay. which in the natural progression of, you know, entropy and the natural progression of aging and, you know, just natural life, that is in and of itself an abnormal, abnormal, abnormal event, uh, which is where the, the unease about them kind of came from is they didn't change over centuries, over, over millennia. They always stayed consistently the same. They're and Edward that's Cullen. I going to pretend you to say that because that is that is a atrocious use of the sociological use is, of vampire it mythos the, the, it is but, the biggest pop culture thing still i mean it is besides the I Anne mean, rice books which are which which are better. well and i'm trying to not go down the tent because that was actually my thesis was the sociological significance of the vampire mythos Mm-hmm. Um, within thanatological essences of those cultures. And so you can see like there's a, there's a very, very fascinating trend shift between Carmilla, Dracula, and then Anne Rice, and now the atrocity that is Twilight. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's, a, there's a very interesting underlying shift in that as well. Um, uh, and so, yeah, but, but the, the idea is that they are powerful in and of themselves, but they don't actually change shape. And the other thing to remember with the worm gods is that's assuming that the worm gods are bound by the same laws that the, the hive are, which I would strongly argue they're not. They have, they have intr- imprisoned the hive, which is where I kind of go back into the, um, the hypocrisy is one of the mm-hmm. biggest one of the biggest parts of their hypocrisy is that they claim to have freed the hive while they actually are enslaving them um you know and it's again it's it's similar in the way that they refer to the traveler as a cosmic parasite in the books of sorrow in the same breath they are literally they are literally infesting the hive they are parasites inside the hive or the mm-hmm. krill at that point but you know it's it's just to me it's a very hypocritical statement for them to be like oh those cosmic that cosmic parasite you know blah 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 which i'm like okay sure we can take that on the surface as that might be the case but you are the exact same you you know you are in the same vein here um you also see that with their concept of kind of to bring it back into the mythology mythology of the hive, the, the obsession with the final shape is a huge hypocritical point that this Faustian bargain really drives kind of drives home because the final shape is described. Uh, and this is a quote from the books of sorrow. They call it the fire without fuel, burning forever, killing death, asking a question that is its own answer entirely itself. And the concept is that there's going to be this final shape that, you know, once you get done carving away the unworthy, it will be the only thing left. It will be the perfect figure, if you will. Um, obviously, anyone who takes more than about 10 seconds to stop and think about that can see the problem there. You have five worm gods. That's not one. You have five. And then you have millions of hive. And so, you know, even with the siblings, you have three siblings. And there's not going to be a final shape implies that there is going to be a single one. One. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
and you know it's it's exactly kind of where I'm kind of going with that is they're setting the it they're setting the hive up to fail is ultimately what's happening. Um, now you see that within uh, the touch of malice with Oryx, Oryx kind of weasels logically around that by saying that you know using the touch of malice he will become immortal. Um, it's a it's, it's like, a it's a fancy way of saying even though I'm dead I'm not dead because the memory of well, me will live on. Right. It's like the touch the tides of history with right yeah an event yeah. type thing. Um, um, but doesn't doesn't um the fact that they've kind of been paired against each other not head to head but like they're always striving for more and like to find the difference between each other. Isn't that telling you that it's kind of leading towards a, a singularity at some point? Like that's oh, ultimately yeah, the yeah. goal. Yeah, and the I mean, I would, I would it. argue it's very similar. You can, you can, um, to kind of tie it back into our own history, right? You can see that with the development of the Roman Empire, um, the way that the early Roman Empire, or the well, the Roman Republic, really. Uh, was orchestrated and was designed was it was basically the best of the best always were fighting were in fighting with each other right they were they were constantly it was it was steel sharpening steel if you will um and the problem with that is that there is a point at which that model will just reach critical mass um you know you can you you will possibly create a an a, a massive empire that is one of the greatest in you know the history of the existence of your your people sure but everything it's it's that it's that natural order right everything will come it will rise but it will also fall mm-hmm. um and so the thing here and and chat's talking about this too is in that failure right the worm gods are the worm gods are setting themselves up to succeed the worm gods are setting themselves up to win Regardless of the hive win, the hive aren't going to win. Well, point though, because they're symbiotic. The the worm gods aren't symbiotic. But the worms themselves. The worms themselves are. But the worm gods, Yule Yule itself, Yule is not dependent necessarily on Oryx being there. Yule, uh, like Yule, will take the offerings of that that tribute and they will Mm -hmm. become strong from that tribute but but yule is not like there there is not a a a true dual symbiosis between yule and like yule itself yule the honest worm is not dependent on oryx the taken king being around he benefits from that but he is not dependent on that uh now Oryx's worm, which is a spawn of Yule, that is a true, you know, that that's arguably a more the symbiotic, paras- uh, symbiotic yeah. para- uh, parasite. Um, but yeah, Veru brings up in chat too, you know, even within the worm gods, there is a lot of fighting because Zol is, that's the entire reason Zol allies himself with Nocris or Nocris is because Zol is paranoid of Yule, mm-hmm. you know, par- Yule or Zol is convinced there's, that Yule is going to eat him. There's and, sword logic in, a, in some respects, even at that right. level. Well, and I mean, if you if you see the idea of the final shape being the actual end goal, that of course, I mean, that makes sense. You know, you you're you're the the uneasy truths between the five, and then you know, it, and that also begs the question of, um, I believe it's Ear who is constantly trying to eat the hive. 
want to say no, Ur. Ur is the one that always tries to eat them. Like Ur is the reason that I might, I might be confusing. One of them is the reason that uh, ogres exist. Oh, and, right. And they 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 created ogres specifically to eat the hive. Like that's what they created. And then Ear actually taught them how to uh, subject the high or subject the ogres. And that's where the summoning pits kind of come in is the summoning pits is a, a place that they can taming is a bit of a strong word for that, but mm-hmm. um, they can break the ogres. Uh, and that's where Golgoroth, you know, that's kind of the Golgoroth thing there. Uh, and so that's, that's, you know, that that's where you kind of you you see an infighting even within the worm gods with regards to their spawn with the hive and so that's again the war between the deep and the sky you know it's it's even it's even more granular if you will mm-hmm. and then do i we mean want to talk oh go for it go for sorry. it sorry do we want to talk a little bit about the we're talking about the mythology of the hive themselves the pantheon and the structure of how the worm gods interact and everything. Um, but one, there's two points that I want to bring up. One, all the mythology that we have on the worm gods themselves, mo- the majority of it comes from the books of sorrow, which there's that one stinking line in the book about how it's basically filled with lies and whatnot. So the, which I mean, I, yeah. I the thing is is the book of sorrows you i'm gonna try to not get myself in trouble with this it's like mm-hmm. any it's like any religious text History both books are by the victors well it's that and it's also it's also propaganda for oryx and that's yeah that's that's, that's what i was gonna say is it's it's promoting what they want right. the, yeah. the universe to see them as, not necessarily what the full truth is. Right. And you see that with Nocris, right? I mean, Nocris mm-hmm. betray. I mean, that's where, uh, what's the beetle head? The worm husk or whatever? The mm-hmm. whatever it is that you get when you kill Zol. Or yeah. Or air quote Zol. Um, the, the three helmets that you get for each of the classes explain the the story of Nocris. Uh, allying himself with Zol, and you know, again, just just what Jopa just said. Obviously, it's going to be biased because it's Nocris writing this, but you see it also being presented as this was Nocris being erased from the Hive's history. So, right there, you already—that's that's not even the Books of Sorrow. That's the the world's grave. That's their history of everything that is them. And Oryx is censoring that information. You know, it, it's it's again kind of exactly what you <laughs> chat praise be to Oryx. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> but I mean, right? It, it's it's it is it's it's the combination of a history book and a religious text. Um, you know, and and you're going to um, you're it's it's not going to be unbiased, which is. Mm-hmm you know, thing. Uh, but I mean, I, I love how, and Veru just kind of brought that up in chat too. I love how much kind of distrust blossomed with the truth, the power series or the truth, the power book. Whereas technically speaking, you can say the same critiques about the books of sorrow. Well, I mean, we're experiencing again, it again with Callus's book. 
Right. And I mean, but and and Callus's book is even more, you know, obvious because right. at least they at least they give the header of, hey, this is a fan fiction to please Callus. Um now, granted, it also helps out of character that these are all written mostly by the same individual. Huge, mm-hmm. huge shout out to Seth for for just that. I mean, that's that's, that's the thing right. too. Out of character, I mean, trying not to let that bias the reading as well. But right. that is also something that seems to be a common theme with those. And so, you know, again, I love that about these books, but. You can't critique one and not critique the other with the same critique. It's just my point there. They're all propaganda. Some of them are just a little bit more heavy-handed. Right. So the second thing I wanted to bring up is so much of the hive mythology that we have ties into so much of our own interactions with the hive. Various people, various um, groups, because we have the Crotifier team, we have Toland, we have... Eris Morn and Ikora, Rezalazir in the Shadows. Um, there's a lot of different stories that we have that technically are not part of the the hives, their own mythology. Like it's not something that they would include in probably in their own mythology, but it's part of our mythology tied to them. Do we want to address some of those stories a little bit more? Or I think it's important to to address them because in the same way that the hive have a bias in presenting their own information, that bias can be used to kind of pull the pendulum back a bit, if you will, especially with, you know, if you, if you blend, you know, this is kind of difficult because even within those names that you have, there are very strong biases there. You know, Toland, right. Toland is obsessed with knowledge as power. Like he, he doesn't really, he's not really looking to do anything arguably at the moment that we know of beneficial other than to himself uh Mm -hmm. whereas ikora and eris you know you can get you can i mean they are also obsessed with knowledge but the the insight that they are searching is for you know for defense against the hive um and then rezzle and and rezzle you know it's it's tough because rezzle kind of was following in toland's path if you will um, I'm, I'm not making a comment not on whether, consciously. They're well, not... I mean, I'm also not even going to comment on where the timeline works on that. Cause I, to be honest, I'm not sure where the timeline works with them, but in the same vein as Toland, Rezel kind of fell that way. But then the shadows, you know, with, with what we have found so far, I don't feel like I need to do spoiler warning there, but with what we've discovered about the shadows, they took the information that Rezel had gotten and pretty much they, they are the equivalent of Ikora and Eris with that information. You know, it's, it's this weird, you kind of have the dichotomy that exists between all of them, you know, there as well. But I think together they do a good job of counteracting some of the bias that we see in the books of sorrow. You know, the books of sorrow is good from a, from giving us an, a rough idea of the history but as mm-hmm. far as like the mythological or the even soci uh, the sociological aspect of the hive, you know, I think the analysis of the the warriors who have fought and who have researched the hive also have a valid point to kind of counteract that bias as well. If that if that makes sense, mm-hmm. well, I think I think it's just more touchable 
as far as uh, because it's so recent and so close to the Guardians, like I, everything yeah, kind I of agree. feels yeah. feels more uh, tangible almost as far as the knowledge that we gain from them because it's not it's not so far removed that it's it's been passed down and it's been modified. It's like yes, these individuals may have biases, but they're also coming right from the source and a far more recent time frame than the other than what we're getting from the book of book of sorrow books of sorrow yeah it's so it's, i think i think that's that's where that makes it maybe not more relevant but it makes it easier to clarify some of the information we might know from uh what we get from the hive there yeah i would definitely agree with that i think it makes it a lot easier to verify i think would be the way i would look at it it's much more verifiable whether or not someone is yep. being biased in their approach than you know orcs which is like oh yeah well four four trillion years ago this was what's happening i'm like well that that's out of my realm of yeah. experience well it's the same it's the same as as history and in, in our right. world right like, like you said the the roman empire we know of the things that happened however uh relating to them is much more difficult uh than than something that might have happened uh 30 years ago, for example. So Right. Think, oh, yeah. That's a that's an excellent example, actually. Yeah. I, I think that's where the understanding that knowledge that, and the sources that it comes from is so huge. And that's where, like, like you said, religious texts that are written thousands of years ago are going to be uh, much easier to kind of construe uh, in a thousand different ways than something that, that would be written in the current day. Right. And, and that's also, the same you, thing that you would get from the Hive. Yeah, and you also have you also have a tendency in religious texts for uh, layered meanings, right? Uh, religious texts tend to be written, at least human religious texts tend to be written with multiple meanings within the same verses. Um, you know, so you have uh, you have different, you have allegorical, you have metaphorical, you have uh, you know literal readings. Um, you know, different things within the same story. I mean, even even within the Bible, for example, you know, that's what I'm I'm intimately familiar with. But um, you know, even within the Bible, the same the same passage can be read multiple ways, and that's the intent, right? That's the intent of that is to hold a lot of meaning within those texts. Um, and you're gonna find that with any, you know, the the grand, you know, the the works of Buddha, all of these things, they're all going to have very layered meanings. And so that's the other thing with like the books of sorrow is if we look at them as as religious texts, that makes it actually a little bit more difficult because there's also interpretation that can be put there. And on top of that, the only reason we have the books of sorrow is because it's been translated by Eris. So there's like a double or even maybe triple layer of bias there that we also have to try to kind of take into account as well when we're dealing with that. I don't know if that what answers about, Green's question. I, I mean, it it definitely expands on it a little bit. I, I'm not necessarily looking for answers. I do want to have discussions. And I think that's kind of a fair direction to head on a lot of these. Um what about necromancy? How the high feel about necromancy? That is something that we certainly have strong feelings about, or at least the hive have strong feelings about. I would say the hive have strong feelings about, and the only reason, <sighs> the only <laughs> that's sigh. Um, the only reason mm. I kind of 
I made sure I, this is a question I have. Um, and it's a question that I saw a lot of chatter for in, in the conversation this week. Um, and I'm going to actually quote, uh, Josh or chatting myth. He had, he had a really good, uh, I guess quick, quick, dirty analysis of kind of where maybe it's coming from. Um, and Josh said, death is a sacred idea for the hive by killing one proves that they are stronger than another. Thus in that belief, they gain strength. But death, from a certain point of view, is also a gift to those who are killed. It is a release and, for the greater universe, an extinguishing of a weak entity or community. By using necromancy, Nocris himself is not growing more powerful. He is not championing death, nor gaining power through the sword logic, which is gaining power by being the one who brought upon another death. Nocris is using the strength of those weak and undefeated, or weak and defeated, never himself growing or conquering, but merely surviving. So that's the end of the quote. Um, and so that's actually really in line with what I kind of am getting the sense of too, because I, and we kind of mentioned this at the start, the hive have this concept uh, called ascendance, uh, you know, the throne world. And most people are kind of probably at least somewhat familiar with that. Um, and this is basically where they can hide their death, which translates into I kill you and you go into your throne world and then you can actually re-manifest in this realm. So they, they have a a form of immortality. Mm-hmm. That is not necromancy. Necromancy is a concept of a non-ascendant hive or even ascendant hive theoretically, but a non-ascendant hive having died and actually being brought back into existence outside of the natural order. Because you can argue with an ascendant hive that they never actually died. There's there's a piece of them that still, you know, it remains tethered to it. Whereas necromancy is, there is no tether, you just rip them back into existence. And that's where you kind of get this idea of necromancy as being an a abomination within regards to, like, the magic... Uh, magic Mm -hmm. universe uh it's always kind of looked down upon in you know a lot of the fantasies necromancy is the black magic the dark magic if you want to call it that um the the ascendance the soul of the ascendant can choose to come back whereas necromancy they can't they're just yanked back yeah arguably that's that's where you see like the per and, and even like in some recent fantasy there's some exploration of like oh you have like um mediums who communicate but that's you know you, you get in you get into the 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 weeds a little bit on the splitting of hair of what is necromancy and what is uh just uh it's not really astral projection but it's it's kind of like that medium-esque mm-hmm. like communication with the dead is not necessarily necromancy because yeah exactly necromancy kind of implies that you don't have a choice you're coming back mm-hmm. well what about i would touched on earlier the the touch of malice with with uh, oryx right um, and that's his his idea of gaining immortality. Doesn't that, in essence, like I know he's that's his choice, but that's right. still kind of going like he's still getting defeated in order to. Well, and that touches that touches on sword logic, right? Because the sword logic says that the person who or the individual who's defeated the memory of that person strengthens the the victor and as well as it sharpens the blade because the blade remembers right that's where the mm-hmm. hive knights have the that's where their their swords are so dangerous is because unlike normal swords which dull after use uh they actually get sharper 
after use. Mm-hmm. They become more and more and more and more powerful. Um, and so what Oryx kind of with the touch of malice is kind of it's 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 a it's a weird like philosophical thing of like I might be defeated, but I you'll never you'll never defeat me because by defeating me, you will always remember me, mm-hmm. you know, and and you see that in a lot of warrior cultures, uh, uh, there's there's a concept of, you know, the experience will be what what gives me immortality. Um, you see that with like the Vikings, with the the concept of Valhalla. You know, they're constantly fighting, they're constantly getting better, they're constantly strengthening their 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 arms for Val- for uh, Ragnarok. Um, a lot of cultures that focus on military strength will have the concept of like the similar to the sword logic. It's not as it's not as I would say rabid as the sword logic, but what what Oryx kind of presents with the concept of the the touch of malice, and this is where it kind of gets dicey, is the problem is that the hive have this tendency to hide deaths. So with Oryx and the touch of malice, it's technically possible that they could use that as a way to weasel him back in. Now, that being said, there's a lot that kind of points to that not being the case, but you can all, I mean, it's just that wiggle room that exists mm-hmm. with the hive because you also, the problem here that I also have, the major problem that I have, and this is in just my problem with the books of sorrow is the entire concept of him killing the siblings truly before he goes to kill Akka coming right. back and resurrecting them because uh, Savathun and Ziva Wrath right, as far right. as the siblings that you're yeah. talking about sorry yes yes thank you uh, because there is that scene in which he uses the deaths of Savathun and Zivu to augment his own power and then he goes to the deep kills Akka and gains Akka's ability to take comes mm-hmm. back and then through the acts of cunning and through the acts of war brings back his siblings, which it's like, okay, wait, <laughs> hang on. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, so necromancy's bad, but what did you just do? And yeah, it, it set up the whole foundation for what Oryx is and, and what his uh, siblings are. Right. Yeah. Is I mean, there... and, and yeah. Oh God. Is there an aspect of because because technically with those three in particular, Oryx, Savathun, and Zivu Wrath, it is the definition of what they embody that brings them back. Um, there's the idea of um, blanking. It's resurrection, or not resurrection. Um, he redefined come, them. Well, there, there's that, but I'm thinking of like a real life, the cycle where if you have good karma in one life, you come back. In the next reincarnation. Yeah. Thank you, reincarnation. So, is there possibly? Now we don't have any proof one way or the other on this one, but the concept of Zivorath and Savathun coming back in a reincarnated state rather than a, a necromatic state, where it's the same body coming back and the same everything, but whereas reincarnation is more, they're coming back on their own thing. Yeah, go for it, Blue. Uh, sorry, uh, Viru corrects me in chat. This is why I love having live chat because they fact check me as I as I babble. Uh, technically, taking was an Akka's ability. The ability to communicate with the deep was Akka's ability, 
and that he communication right he he communi- he took the ability to communicate with the deep directly and then he learned how to take from the deep so thank you Varu, for catching me on that that piece um yeah because like the way that he describes it is the the concept of like redefine or not redefining but by but by enacting their true definition which is mm-hmm. kind of a similar concept to uh you know, uh, name magic, true name magic and stuff like that. Um, I'm thinking kind of like the, the idea of the, like the Dalai Lama. Right. So the the Dalai Lama, reincarnation of correct. the soul. Cause when it, when did that play more in line with the touch of malice and whisper of the worm? Cause it, I mean, it's reincarnated and not reincarnated, but it's kind of essence into a, a, a new form. So that like would item of power. It almost seemed like semantics in the way they define it, but it is them looking at it as as their power transferring into a new uh, form instead of yeah, instead of them being brought back exactly as they were in in the necromantic sense. Right, right, yeah, and I think the different the only difference that I would make between touch and whisper is that whisper has kind of been. This is this is my interpretation. So you know, please argue with me if I if you have a different one. But Whisper has kind of been presented as a Trojan horse. Um, Whisper has been presented to us as a way of Zol kind of tricking us into tithing to him through the deaths of that weapon. Whereas Touch, see, I, I don't know. Like Touch, it, it depend. It, it really there's so many options with Touch. That it, you know, that, that sounds weird saying that, but that, um, (laughs) there's so many options that the touch of malice kind of opens because it could be the close of the chapter, right? It could be, Hey, this is orcs memory and we're done, but it also could be, Hey, in a similar fashion, we are redefining or we're defining orcs through the destruction of, you know, blah, blah, blah. Even though arguably we don't have touch of malice anymore because Gaul like to blow things up. Um, unless the cryptarch stole it, you know, but mm-hmm. question. And then this is good getting into some serious spin foil thing. And I don't think we've talked about it a whole lot at all. The concept that's coming up in shadow keep, I kind of touched it on, on it at the beginning of the episode when we were, we were talking about the community question of the week. Do, would you think that the en- enemies that we have coming back would be considered part of necromancy? Because they're coming back in ways that we haven't seen before, and we don't know who the the big bad, the big head of it is, or if it is a group or new race. I know a lot of people are throwing around the veil. the word is well, what the what the veil that yeah the isn't that the new race name Su- supposedly yeah is the pyramid ships the pyramid ships yeah which. How I mean, did it's they it's get to the moon without us seeing. Yeah, the there's question, there's a lot of problems but, with that. But I mean, right? Um, unless unless they're they're similar to uh, like uh, the the uh, creatures in the Marvel universe, the Kree that can shape shift, shape shift. If they or have some the some, nine, some kind of that form, right? The yeah, nine are able yeah. to pop in and out too. Um, yeah. As far as like so so the thing with Shadow Keeps enemies, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Scrolls is what I meant. Yeah. Oh God. Oh. Oh God. That. 
mental image does not need to. Um, hmm? The the scrawls from Marvel. Oh, um, yeah. Old ladies getting punched on subways. It's just not. It's not fun in movies. Um, but she had a mean right hook. That was that was the thing to remember about her. Um, no, I think the thing with the enemies for Shadowkeep, like there's there's two really big possibilities that come to mind for me personally. Um, first off, they keep so this is again doubling down on your comment about this being spin foil, right? Um, right. The fact that they keep referring to this as a psychological event makes me really question is the shadow keep actually on the moon or are we going to be in the netherverse or the, the psycho mutable? Are we going to be in the ascendant realm? Are we because, going to be drugged? Oh God. Well, I mean, that's, that's always a possibility apparently. Um, <laughs> but the other, the thing is, is like, this is, this is similar to, I think, uh, I don't know if you were on the conversation green when beard and I were talking about the whole thing with Callum and the the scene where we find his shadow on the wall mm-hmm. there's a possibility that that was in an ascendant realm and if that's in the ascendant realm then that is not necessarily true it's a it's a projection of a person's will and each each ascendant realm obviously will be uh subject to whoever created it right and so if you are in shadow keep and the shadow keep is a shadow of the keep on the moon, you know, literally a shadow of a physical place, then those manifestations of our enemies are just manifestations. They are nightmares, which they've also been referred to, but they are actual mm-hmm. just nightmares. Now, that what that means is there's no there's there's arguably nothing real. But this kind of goes into the Friday the 13th, right? Nightmares can right. kill you. Well, the other thing is the we already have that. I don't want to say psycho mutable, but the concept of what Drifter is doing with the reckoning. Right. I mean, the hall. That is. Yeah. Those are. Yeah. Those are the constructs of um, his mind. Drifter. Yeah. So, granted, if it's a construct of the mind, and who who's still the thing is is who is dictating it? There's going to well, be that's, a that's character or creature that is that. What is if it's the, us? Do you think we're that creative? Are we going? No, and no. Our but own I mean, every. But that's the thing, right? I mean, this this reminds me of uh, or uh, Oracle of Time, Ocarina also, of Time. Gosh, man, wow, there... bleh. Ocarina of Time. When you fight Dark Link, we if are. Yep, Ra- Raz, Raz just said it. We are our own worst enemy. Right, which is one of the things that people are like going nuts about with the image of the quote unquote oh, yeah, Dark the, Guardians. The, the Dark Guardians image, yeah, but. I've seen people talk like, oh, those are like the dark side, which we've been asking for for a while for having a an enemy, quote unquote, race that is the shadow image or the mirror image of us. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, if that's the case, if this is constructs of our own worst enemy, why aren't there Vex? Why is it only Hive and Fallen? Because I don't think there's... There was Cabal, there's scorn. I, th- I think... Was there a cabal? I don't see any hive though in the trailer. Well, and I saw scorn. I think. Oh, there was. Um, Gaul came back. Gaul is one of the enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, Skolos is one of them. I mean, Crota to, is one of them. And this is this is where my pragmatic side kind of comes. I mean, we've only seen what four minutes, five minutes, right? So right. there's the possibility that that's that it's there. Um, 
Oh yeah, I mean Maids. Maids is saying that there was Atheon, and okay, Drew I don't was making it. I don't. I don't remember all okay. of the trailers. So, but I mean, but my thing is like, I keep coming back to the idea that they keep focusing. Well, there we also are going back to the Black Garden, right? Yep. So there's there's that's the I raid, mean, right? Um, I keep I just I keep fixating on the fact that they keep referring to things as psychological horror nightmares shadows you know all this all this concept and i'm like i i just to me that that screams the entirety of i mean and they've they've kind of doubled out on that with the dreaming city the hall you know even callus has his own nightmare realm you know Mm -hmm. there's all these 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 psychological realms that are that are around us and we know that the moon is a keyhole you know, the moon is riddled with keyholes into ascendant realms because that's right. that was what Crota's end was, was us jumping through a keyhole. And then, I mean, then there's also the um, the mission where we have to go and we sneak into an ascendant realm to get Crota's soul, you know. And so there's the moon is kind of a locus, if you will, of these different realms it mm-hmm. seems. And so to me, you know, even the name makes me think, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I keep on seeing the upside down uh, okay. yeah. with with the images that they've shown us. I That's just personally, that's where my head is. Um, I see Mordor, but that's just because. Well, because right. But I mean, but tower. I mean, yeah. but I mean, technically it's kind of, I mean, it's a similar concept, right? I mean, well, I guess it depends on which version of Mordor you're in, but, but right. like. You know, even even there, you also have, I mean, going going down the the Tolkien route there too. I mean, the One Ring has a similar mm-hmm. concept, right? <laughs> Chat, yay, we get Christmas lights. <laughs> 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 Sorry, that made me laugh. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I I think it's it's true. Like, but I also think we've seen with like the Vex simulations they could go in so many directions with this right um right that that it's it's they're teasing a lot of things but i would imagine that some of them are misleading on purpose to yeah, catch us off guard hurts. once once yeah once we get into shadow keep so that's where i would like i i i do like the speculation but because of the um what we've seen so far i think is going to be deeper than what we've seen in the past with the way they go, um, like with the psychological, we haven't seen anything like that. We've seen Sunless Cell as a mission was 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 dark and and everything, but we haven't seen them tie an, an entire expansion into the mental side of things, and, I, and that's where I think, like to your point, if it's not a, a Shadow Realm where we are directly involved, it could be just a projection that. Uh, someone else is putting into there, and so that wouldn't surprise me if somebody, if the big bad is is not necessarily a hive. Ultimately, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if it's if it's if it's somebody who uh, relates to us on a more personal level as guardians, it's Eris's nightmare. No, God, I hope not blue. <laughs> blue just typed into chat. It's Korea, and I'm like, I am going to slap somebody if it's korea i'm so okay but i mean to be Every fair to be fair korea. i mean what other what what other 
race has a substance that's in, integral to him to them that causes hallucinations. Mm-hmm. I, right. I mean, I, I'm just thing. I'm just putting it out there. Right. It, it is foiling, possible. It's been foiling some more. One of the lines in the trailer is has to do with Eris and the fact that she released something or she. Right. I can't remember the exact verbiage that they used, but Eris is the trigger in some respects. Yeah, I know. Teox is another one that I actually I had a discussion with somebody earlier about that. That it could be Teox or Teo, Tao, Tao. Yeah, Tao. Um, yeah, because I think the comment was something about like, and I don't think it was in the trailer. I think it was one of the interviews. They said that mm-hmm. you're going to be basically tasked with helping Eris figure out what she unleashed and that's what it was. And fixing it basically. I want to say it was like the it was one of the E3 interviews. I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, there was that kind of comment there as well. Right. There are so many threads, so many things. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping we did get some more trinkle, tr- trickles of information out thanks to um, Bungie's stream that they did the other day with Guardian Con or with the St. Jude Marathon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that they of, showed the weapons, right? The two guns. Yes. Yep. Yes. The weapons with Eris's coins attached to them. Yeah. I'm curious to dive. Yeah, I want to dive more into some of that as far as like the the lore implications, the cultural implications of what those may be. Because we were discussing, we've always talked about how Drifter is wearing literally funeral garb. What's mm-hmm. going on with Eris? I want to know her side of it too. So I'm sure we're going to keep getting more information as time goes on with that. Yeah, and Eris, I, I, I'm so this is me just kind of, fangirling a little bit because i'm really hoping well obviously but more so because the concept art of eris has her with a rope dart as Mm -hmm. a weapon and that was one of her early early iterations was instead of a rock she had a rope dart that was the the concept art yeah the concept art and i just keep having this image of like her coming back with something like that I think that would just be really cool just seeing mm-hmm. actually because it would actually basically give us a chance to actually see her see if she actually gets her hands dirty. Right. Because the thing with Eris again is Eris does not have the protection of a ghost. So no. Eris has to be much more focused on, you know, this kind of similar to Asher, uh, even though Asher technically still has a ghost. He kind of is paranoid about that, you know. Eris is much more focused on the actual reality that all the Guardians just went through with the Red War. That's Eris's reality right. going forward. So that's that's a yeah. I, I'm I'm excited to see where they take Eris's story with Shadowkeep. I think so. I yeah yeah yeah. I'm I, in, I'm in the same boat because I, I think that of all the of all the NPCs who who have touched the like towards the darkness, she's been the one that has been able to tie some of the stories together a bit better. Like Toland is still feels like more of an abstract being because we've only seen him in his light and everything. Mm-hmm. Whereas Eris, we, we got it. We really got to know her better. So now seeing her, um, her progression from the red war and from destiny one, uh, I think is, is going to be a lot of fun and really lead us to, I think 
some unexpected character twists, I would imagine, with her as well. Uh, I know they, they've harped a lot on she's not evil, and, and I think that's 100% believable. But also, I think being that sh- there's such shades of gray in her character, that seeing more of that, I think, will be uh, what where Shadowkeep can really shine as far mm-hmm. as having having a relatable and uh, interesting NPC that um, deals with this this concept of the nightmares. Well, and I think, too, the thing that to keep in mind there is also arguably the drifter's not evil either. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, you know, like the drifter's not evil. He's just out for himself. And I think that's kind of along the lines of where Eris is kind of coming from is that, you know, not not in the same necessarily vein, but in in the same light that the drifter is kind of in between. I think that's where Eris is, too. Because Eris, and, and that's the thing too, is Eris has power. Like Eris has significant power. Um, she she is able to teleport us around. I mean that that was right. and that was back that was back. Yeah, that was back in D one. Like that was. I mean, she pulled us out of the moon yep. when we were in danger. So I mean, it's not that she doesn't. She's not capable i mean she she definitely has something and then she also uh at the end of d1 we had her stepping through like a portal you know she had the whole gateway thing going on when she visited asher Mm -hmm. so yeah i think i think they're obviously we've seen that with more and more of the npcs with with drifter and with uh it started with eris i think as someone who who's been in the game but now we're gonna probably see that with shin Malfoy as well with the, mm-hmm. some of the oh yeah details. definitely yeah and definitely I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was uh, connections between all three of them in ways we wouldn't expect as well I, because they're all kind yeah. of dealing with the same concepts uh, in their own individual journeys but I would love to see where that goes and where their paths kind of intertwine uh, in the future of the uh, of the game mm-hmm. I think. I just wild thing that I want to see is I want to see a new a new enemy on the horizon that causes us to have those nightmares and have these things come back to bite us. I want to it may be somebody from lore, but I want to see something new. It theoretically could be Zavathun. Granted, every time something happens in game, it theoretically could be Zavathun. So I want to see what can actually be pulled forth something new hopefully should we yeah. i was just gonna say it's this hard balance that we keep um putting in front of us of there's so many potential enemies on the horizon right and and where do they tie up loose ends as insofar as they can be tied up compared to where they introduce that new things to keep us our interest peaked and our, our curiosity at an all-time high, because the spin foil is something that I, I think a lot of people look forward to, and so having these potential, like just these, even if it's a, like you said, just a little tease towards the new enemy of maybe there's a relationship there between the new enemy and some of the things we've seen in the past that we just we didn't know about. Mm-hmm. It's certainly going to be an interesting way for them to reuse assets. By the way. I mm-hmm. actually like this version of what they're planning to use with them. Anyway, should we move on to shout outs? Yes. 
So, Jopa, I want you one more time to shout out all the different places people can find you if they want to contact you or hang out with you. Um, that and any other shout outs you may have for the week, prayer requests, whatever you need, man, go for it. Uh, so, like I said earlier, I'm Twitter. I'm on Twitter pretty much all the time, unfortunately. Um, uh, at Jopa Writes, uh, Twitch is also Jopa Writes. I stream uh pretty much uh monday through friday in the mornings eastern time 8 a.m to to 2 uh, or 3 depending and then also on instagram i yeah i i do uh write for planet destiny you'll see some of my articles up on there from time to time i do a lot of kind of updates and quest reviews and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um and that's mostly it i'm not i'm pretty easy to find if you place you'll find me pretty much everywhere i tend to cross my mode pretty well so and jopa writes is j-o-p-a-w-r-i-t-e-s not r-i-t-e-s like or r-i-g-h-t-s yeah jopa writes yes uh blue do you want to go next or do you want me to go next you can go next so got a kind of a, a laundry list of shout outs this week mainly things coming up since guardian con is what we're less than two weeks away um it's getting really close it's getting really scary because it's gonna be here (laughs) so (laughs) things that are happening at guardian con blue and myself will be on the lore panel on the main stage on friday for the stream you should be able to I, i i'm gonna say this if i'm wrong i'm sorry i you should be able to watch it on the the Guardian Con stream because they generally stream the main stage. So you will likely be able to see us doing that if you are not able to go to Guardian Con. If you are able to go to Guardian Con, please come and hang out with us. We are going to have Blue and I, Bife, my name is Bife, and Baxter, and Mylan Games. That was the last one I about blanked on Matt. But I won't tell him if you won't tell him. Number four, Lord. And there is a possibility of other things going to surprise you. You don't want to miss it. Please don't miss it. Uh, beyond that, Saturday at 11 a.m., both Blue and I will be at Isakol's booth, the bad redacted joke booth, and we will be signing the posters that Isakol made. That is the poster that has Bife, myself, Blue, and Beard Grizzly as our character avatars on it that she did probably she did it twice she started it back in december she had to redo it <laughs> early this spring so we're going to be setting those posters at 11 a.m on saturday beyond that remember that blue has up the new t-shirts and the stickers and everything on teespring and guardian con fundraising for saint jude is currently at the timing of this recording at two po- almost $2.6 million. We are so close to that $3 million goal. If you have not donated, please reach out and do that. Even if you don't do it necessarily in a stream that you care about, reach out, help out. We're going to s- smash that $3 million. We're yeah, getting that, real that was close the to- goal. That was the goal for the whole thing, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. And we're, we're already, we haven't 2. even started. 6. And yeah. like, because the event itself will have, I mean, there, there's going to be fundraising going on during the event too. I mean, it's yeah. amazing. For yeah, and sure. Doctor Lupo saw so his block is going to be huge. Bananas. He's, he's closing it out, I think, isn't he? Yeah. Yep. 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 
And well, speaking bungees, of huge bungees, yeah, yeah, they for, almost for, uh, made like awesome. half a million on their own for a dead game. They did pretty good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> DMG had to eat a lot of bread. <laughs> what forty he's slices? Gonna, he's gonna be dressed <laughs> like bread at Guardian Con too. Yeah, I cannot wait to see that. I, Plus, he has I'm, to get a tattoo. I 100 need a picture with him. And his I, bread, just, uh, I just remember him tweeting, and he was like, "I think I'm going to su- substitute tortillas for bread." And I was like, "That's uh-huh. a bad idea. Don't do that." Yeah, <laughs> yes. it's so bad. That's, that's a but yeah, way oh. to go, Bungie! Thank you for helping out with this. Um, we have new meme material, by the way. I don't know if anybody's seen this yet, but DMG posted a picture of Deej pointing, and he has a really <laughs> sassy look on his face, as Deej tends to do. Please go meme that. I want to see as many memes as possible if you can if you have a creative bone in your body. I may have made a tiny Twitter bird on his finger and sent it out <laughs> to some friends to to put captions on. So meme that out, have fun with it. Stop in and say hi in the streams. Even if you don't donate, alert other people that this is going on. Tell them what it's about. Tell them that we're raising money for the kids and get the word out. So that is my shout outs. Blue, you are up. Um, that's pretty, I mean, you pretty much covered to the ones that I think we pretty much have on our minds right now. Um, if you, I, yeah, just to repeat though, the shout outs earlier at the very beginning, you know, um, if you have ideas or you want to see something in particular for like t-shirts or anything like that, please let Green or I know. Uh, mm-hmm. we're always, we're always happy to see that. We're also, I mean, if you, you know, just putting this out there as well, if you have any interest in in you know doing content creation at all with any game for analysis and stuff like that, that's really what we try to do mm. with the lore network. And so you know, definitely let us know if you know we have we have pieces of Path of Exile, we have uh, Final Fantasy, we have I think uh, we have even a couple articles about movies and TV shows, uh, Voltron and Annihilation, I believe, are the two that are up there right now. So, I mean, definitely anything that you are passionate about that you want to write, you know, or even do an audio recording or anything like that, and you want to have, you know, a way to share that with people, let us, let us know. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, and just again, give a huge shout out to you guys for, for, uh, (laughs) for putting up with us for as long as you guys have put up (laughs) with us, but uh, we'll see you. Well, yeah, we'll episode episode one seventy two for Focus Fire. We're already on episode thirty something for the extra lore, and mm-hmm. we're on forty five for the top three. So I mean, we, yeah, we got it. We got to I mean, we're getting up there and on all of them really. So again, just huge shout out for for you guys, the listeners. Um, but yeah, uh, we will be back next week. Uh, and then I believe the week after that, cause I think it's 12 days. So yep. the week after that, we will see, we'll be able to see you guys, um, in person, which is crazy, but yeah. you guys have a great week and we will talk to you next week. Bye. See ya. With that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusedfirechat. Links to all our episode archives can also be found at www.focusfirechat.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any comments or questions for our team concerning the podcast and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback and a rating over on iTunes. 
iTunes as well. Also, be sure to check out all the amazing work being featured over on thelorenetwork.com. So until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright.